Nathan Filer is a qualified mental health nurse whose first novel, The Shock of the Fall, won the Costa Book of the Year, among many other accolades and prizes. He joins us today to talk about his new book, The Heartland, Finding and Losing Schizophrenia. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks for coming in to see us. Thank you very much for having me. Let's just start by saying, why this book? Why this subject? Yeah, why this subject? I feel like I've been writing about it for quite a long time now, which wasn't really a conscious decision, but this book very much came out of my last book. I think they're quite intimately connected, mm-hmm. really. So a few years ago, I wrote a, a novel called The Shock of the Fool, which detailed the the life of a young man coming to terms with the loss of his brother. But he had some very strange experiences as well. I didn't diagnose him in the book, but I think if I had, I would have diagnosed mm-hmm. him with schizophrenia. And lots of the scenes were set in the mental health care setting mm-hmm. and mental health wards and, and so on. So so I wrote that book in any case and um and it came out and readers started to get in touch with me and Lots of the people who were getting in touch with me were sharing some stories from their own lives, true stories about themselves living in some way in the shadow of this diagnosis of schizophrenia. It means very different things to different people, as you know from reading the book. I started entering into correspondence with some of these people and I was meeting people all the time. It wasn't just readers getting in touch, but because of going around and talking about the shock of the fall and going and doing, you know, giving lectures and things like that, I was meeting more and more people whose lives had been affected by schizophrenia. Um, and so this book sort of emerged from that, really, because at its heart are a number of, of these stories. And you say quite early on in the book that, of course, the difference really between real life and fiction is that real life is a lot messier and the people that were getting in contact with you didn't have the tools that you had through fiction with your story to make it neat. And you've obviously found that non-fiction is a way to explore that messiness. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So rarely did the the stories that were landing in my inbox have the the kind of neatly conceived beginning, middle and end that as a novelist I'd had the luxury to craft. I think this phenomenon that we call mental illness is messy, it's chaotic, it can be very, very difficult to make sense of. But that's all the more reason to try. Mm -hmm. I I think there's a a fragility to the mental health of of all of us. And so it serves us all to try and do that. Very near the beginning of the book, you say that there is no uncontroversial language in this area. And the word schizophrenia itself is included in that. Tell us a bit more about that. Well, yeah, I, I, gosh, there's certainly controversy around the term schizophrenia. I think I say in the book, there's no uncontroversial language when talking about mental illness, and that includes the phrase mental illness. <laughs> I mean, there really, there really mm-hmm. is no uncontroversial terms. And broadly speaking, I think the controversy surrounding a term relates to how medical it feels. So the example I give in the book, and we should definitely come on to schizophrenia, but, but I start with what I think is you know, for most people would seem like a fairly innocuous uh, term, the collective noun for people accessing mental health treatment. So if you are a person who is experiencing very distressing, uh, alarming, uncharacteristic thoughts, feelings and behaviours, and when we talk about mental illness, that is what we're always talking about, is people's thoughts, feelings and behaviours. So if you're experiencing that and you consider that to be an illness... Uh, presumably located within your brain, but otherwise the same is uh, a sort of physical illness, well, then you might want to think of yourself as a patient because, you know, essentially you're experiencing the same thing as those patients down the hall who are being treated for, you know, cancer or diabetes or whatever, then why would you want to be called something else? However, if you're of the opinion, um, as lots of people are, and lots of people who I spoke to are, that even the most alarming and distressing and uncharacteristic of your thoughts, feelings and behaviours are not symptomatic of illness, but rather 
perhaps a perfectly natural response to undischarged trauma, Mm -hmm. a way of coming to terms and coping with unbearably stressful life events, then to see that wrapped up in a kind of medical language, which begins with the the word patient, might be problematic. Mm -hmm. And so I talk about this in the book because I reflect on the fact it was during my own nurse training um, back in the early 2000s that the word patient fell out of favour. And uh, and we started to use the term service user because that felt like a more neutral term. But then what about those service users who are detained in hospital against their will, perhaps medicated against their will? Can we in all conscience say that they're service users? Mm. Probably not. And and so today there's a sort of growing minority of people who eschew both terms and they identify as, as survivors. At first glance, this can look like you know, it's a sort of semantic debate. And it is a debate about language. But I think in the mad world of mental health care, language is everything. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I think um, a truth not widely appreciated is that for the vast, vast majority of what we call the mental illnesses, there aren't objective tests, there aren't blood tests or brain scans. It's the words people use mm-hmm. or do not use as interpreted by doctors, that results in diagnosis and can result in a diagnosis like schizophrenia. So uh, to answer your your question, and sorry to come about it in such a roundabout way, but if you see there's so much controversy around a simple word like patient, you can then begin to imagine the controversy mm-hmm. around something like schizophrenia, where there is really no agreement over what this is. You know, like everything is up for grabs. There is acrimonious debate among the fields of psychiatry, psychology, neuroscience, these survivor groups, service user groups, over everything from causes, risk factors, categorization, whether the whole term has outlasted its usefulness, if it ever was useful and should be rebuilt from scratch or abandoned. So in the book, I don't use the, the term schizophrenia. I say so-called mm. schizophrenia. I don't like that term you know I'm a novelist and I think it's a really unwieldy kind of Mm -hmm. part of me cringes at the Mm -hmm. unwieldiness of it but it's an attempt to be respectful to that myriad of opinions and to respect people who find comfort in the language of medicine but also those who feel they've been injured by it. One of the other things about the book and about the language is how sketchy our general understanding might be by which I mean the understanding of some of the terms and I wondered whether you might tell us a little bit about Erica. So you talk to various people in the book and tell us about how Erica finds out what her doctor thinks is wrong with her. Yeah, gosh, it's just shocking, isn't it? So Erica was the first person. um, I can use her full name. So some of the people in the book chose to be anonymous, Mm -hmm. sort of varying degrees of anonymity. uh, And uh, a couple of the people were happy not to be. And uh, so it's Erica Crompton. uh, And she's an amazing person. And she she writes a lot about her own uh, experiences of living with this diagnosis of um, of schizophrenia. But the first time she saw her diagnosis, well, actually what she saw was the word psychotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could talk about what that means. But um, she knew she'd been having a tough time. She'd been, you know, she'd been having a really tough time. But the first she saw that word psychotic uh, in her medical notes was during a routine smear test. You know, and I think obviously I've never had a smear test but I can't imagine there's a time when you'd feel much more vulnerable you know <laughs> <laughs> um, and then to and then to suddenly see that word in uh, that word and she and she she talked about it as it feeling like um, an item of her clothing was was on fire suddenly like it was just this thing on her that she had to get rid of and she talks about how you know she didn't know what that word meant and for her she just had all of these associations uh, that she'd picked up from, you know, reading 
the tabloid newspapers mm. through the through the you know eighties and nineties, and that very strong association with uh, with violence, and mm. and and she re- she remembers thinking. Gosh, if I have children, am I gonna am I gonna kill my children? Mm-hmm. You, you know, so incredibly distressing. And and you know, she's such a lovely person, and mm-hmm. she she hasn't hurt anybody. She didn't have those thoughts because she'd had you know these mm-hmm. violent thoughts, but it was the association. I think the word psychotic is widely misunderstood, isn't it? I know somebody who had to uh, start taking some antipsychotic medication, and when she told people she was taking antipsychotic medication, they thought that was to stop her being violent. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Could you tell us what you think it means? Yeah, sure. I mean. As with all of these terms, different people think different things Mm. about it. And and it's not an especially precise term. But at its broadest and most simplistic, it's the the name we give to the experience of losing touch with reality Mm. or, you know, what other people perceive to be reality. So it's not sort of an illness or a disease in itself. It can be symptomatic Mm. of disease. It's like the typical feature in most forms of dementia. I think I say in the book as well, you know, we might actively choose to be psychotic. Um, I'm, I'm assuming immediately after this interview, we'll go and take a, some LSD and some class A drugs. And, <laughs> and if they don't, if that doesn't radically distort our experience of lived reality and make us psychotic, then, then you know, we're going to want to speak to the dealer, aren't we? So, um, so, so many of us are psychotic at certain points in our life. But it can also be... Uh, I believe, and many people believe, a response to to stressful life events, to extreme trauma. Uh, It can be a kind of storytelling that goes on in the mind, perhaps a a coping strategy gone awry. And there's lots of evidence and lots of interesting thinking around that. And so psychosis is... It's not the only feature of so-called schizophrenia, but but it's a it's a defining feature. I know because you say it in the book that you're really keen to dispel some of the unhelpful myths. Um, what would some of those be? Well, I suppose the main one is um, this idea of split personality. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's probably that's endured pretty immutably in the public imagination, hasn't it? And um, I mean, it's partly a case of. Poor branding, I think. The, the word schizophrenia is taken from the Greek schiz, meaning split and friend mind. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's badly named, really. Um, but it doesn't mean split personality. It doesn't mean multiple personality. And I suppose the the other um, significant myth is around violence. You know, there's not no association between mm-hmm. uh, becoming psychotic and, and being violent. There is. Uh, but it's vastly, vastly exaggerated I think, and you know, the uh, the media has some responsibility for that. I think um, I say in the book, um, I cite a piece of research that says, you know, if you have this diagnosis of schizophrenia, you're something like 15 times more likely to be the victim of violence than mm-hmm. than the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's plenty more myths besides. And as I explore those, we we can see that uh, maybe even some of the sort of fundamental ways that we understand these things, diagnosis, the medical model as a whole, maybe a myth in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so impressed with the way that you um, navigate all this incredibly difficult territory, um, difficult because it's controversial, difficult because it's sometimes distressing. Was it a hard book to write? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a silly question. All books are hard books all, to write. They are, aren't they? They are. Yeah, it was, it was incredibly hard to write. And what I think was especially hard with this book, more so than uh, writing a novel, though I think novels are uniquely difficult to write in their own ways, but I felt such a responsibility with this book to... Uh, the five people whose stories I tell mm-hmm. and to get those right. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a journalist and I don't have a sort of journalistic killer instinct. I, I wasn't trying to get a scoop. I, you know, I wanted to tell their stories properly and for them to feel 
heard and and recognised themselves on the page and that felt like a, a massive responsibility you know to the point with one of the stories that we went back and forth for a year in our correspondence of mm-hmm. me sending what I'd return and then sort of you know getting mm-hmm. feedback on that and just trying to get that right so people felt um properly represented and yeah that felt like a big responsibility and that made it very, very like emotionally difficult mm-hmm. I suppose to write as well. Do you have hopes for the book do you hope it's a contribution to a debate what would you like to happen i want the same thing that i want in my last book i I want people to read it to share it to talk about it i don't really write with a a sort of political agenda Mm -hmm. and um and i hope that comes across in the book that i don't i don't try and position myself on you know there is this great debate going on and there clearly is a bit of a divide at the moment with um different ideologies competing for dominance i think that is going on but I don't have an agenda there. I don't I don't especially feel I want to side with one side or another. I want to introduce readers to that conversation and to show people that and for people to hopefully make up their own mind. And I suppose ultimately, I hope that in reading the book that people will feel more empathetic as a result of reading it and reading those stories. Well, I think they certainly will. And if I can actually quote you at yourself, one of my favourite lines is you say, it's not always possible to find the right words, but we can still be part of the conversation. We can walk with people for a bit, sit with them, hear them. And I think that's what you're allowing us to do by having written this book. I hope so. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.